1: welcome to the casting across fly fishing podcast i'm matthew of castingacross.com where i explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing well this podcast is being recorded in northern virginia Loudoun county to be precise my family and i are here visiting family for a week and it is beautiful weather simply phenomenal weather in the mid 70s i have a hope that this is what eternity is going to be like. Temperatures in the mid-70s, a little bit cooler uh, in the evenings and in the mornings, just so that that cup of coffee sitting on the back porch is a little bit extra delicious. Anyway, you're not here to hear about my eschatology. You're here to hear about fly fishing. So I'm going to talk about a little fly fishing that I've been doing, a little bit of a different structure for today's podcast. Because if you listened a couple weeks ago, you knew that I... Got a fishing day for Father's Day. I, I go fishing a lot. I go fishing up in New England, I go on trips, but this was kind of a special Father's Day gift because on our family vacation, I was given the gift of going out fly fishing for an entire day, anywhere of my choosing. And so I chose to fish in Virginia for a few reasons. One, I have my license here, so that's a financial benefit. But then also, it is an opportunity to fish in a bunch of different ways uh, all within the same day. And I've done that plenty of times. I've talked about that. Um, but there's, that's really great things about being in the Mid-Atlantic. And if you go back to previous episodes, I have an episode about why you should fly fish the Cumberland Valley, why you should fly fish the Shenandoah, and a, a couple other ones that are applicable to this area. And actually, a little bit of a side note, um, if you have just started listening in the last few months, I've done a change to the format of the older podcast, So now everything should be available, especially on iTunes, iTunes, Heart Radio, Stitcher, all of those podcast apps. You can go all the way back and listen to the first episodes. It was only displaying the last 100 for a while, so uh, if, you, if you hadn't heard those first few, there's some that are really good, so you can now check those out. But anyway, I'm able to fish for smallmouth. I'm able to fish for trout in spring creeks. I'm able to fish for trout in the mountains. There's other uh, tailwaters and freestone streams and bass lakes. Uh, there's big rivers, small rivers. Everything that you could want. You can fish for musky, you can fish for a largemouth, you can fish for carp, you can fish for shad, you can fish for stripers. It's all here. It's a really, really great thing. And so I chose to fly fish in this area for my day off because I could kind of mix and match. So I brought a three weight, a five weight, and a sturdy six weight, which is a little bit undergunned for what I ended up doing, but we'll talk about that here in a second. So what I chose to do was what I couldn't do when I'm at home. So I absolutely love mountain brook trout fishing and fishing the Shenandoah Park streams is how I got into that so that was a real enticing option however I can do a very similar thing up in New England in the White Mountains and it's not like it's any closer here I can be on a couple of the northern trout streams wild trout streams here from where my in-laws live in Loudoun County down into the park in about an hour and a half it takes me about 2 hours, hour 45 minute up in Massachusetts to get to those White Mountain Brook Trout streams. So It's really not that different. Now, would I like to fish in these streams here in in Shenandoah? Absolutely, I'm not turning those things down. It's just that when I have one day, I wanna do something that's a little bit different. So, what I chose was a spring creek. And there's a handful of spring creeks in Virginia. When you think about spring creeks on the east coast, probably think about Pennsylvania. And it's those creeks that I love fishing, those central Pennsylvania, uh, both around State College and all the way down into the Cumberland Valley. Those are great spring creeks with big fish because there's such a nutrient rich environment that produces so much forage. And then also, just the nature of those creeks, their geology and hydrology, they make for a lot of hiding spaces. So, these are fish that are able to seek cover and they get that thermal refuge because of the consistent temperatures that come up from the spring. So, they are not only are kind of resistant to environmental issues, temperature swings, droughts, things like that. They also have places to hide and eat. So it's everything that a fish could want. And, and the temperature being consistent, they have a growing season that's year round. So these are awesome fisheries. And again, like I said, most of the notable ones on the east coast are a little bit north of here, not that much further, actually equidistant to the stretch of them that exist in the Shenandoah Valley. But I wanted to fish something, again, that was in Virginia that I have a license for and that I didn't fish as much uh, previously. So I chose a very popular Spring Creek in the Shenandoah Valley. And I went down there, and it is gorgeous. I'll be posting pictures on articles and and on social media over the coming days and weeks. But just bluebird skies, uh, 70 degrees when I showed up, fantastic weather for getting out. Only one other car in the parking lot. But I figured, you know, I'll I'll fish on the off-bank. And that's actually one of the first things I want to kind of mention, and I was thinking about a lot when I was fishing yesterday, is how important your bank choice is when fishing on a spring creek. You can probably, not probably, you can definitely make the same application when you're fishing a freestone river, but on a spring creek, it's of utmost importance, probably for the major reason that a lot of them, it's not a wise idea to wade especially a lot of the streams that have a lot of siltation um, either naturally or because of degradation from human interaction whether farming or or developments or channelization or things like that it's impossible or dangerous to wade and so you need to be on the stream bank and a lot of that great cover for those larger fish is going to be up against the stream bank whether in the form of the bank itself, if it's an undercut, or because you have some aquatic vegetation that is anchored up against the the bank. So you're able to be close to a fish potentially, but you might not have a great casting angle on it. And so there really are, if you are sneaky and stealthy and take a very cautious approach, not just to your walking, but to your casting, you have the chance to fish both sides of the stream bank and have two totally different experiences Um, if you are on river right you're going to come across holes and weed beds and currents that you can fish in one way and if you're on river left you might be able to fish the exact same current but in a different way and if you've never fished a spring creek you're missing out on one of the remarkable hydrological wonders uh in creation and that is how you can have currents that are literally moving backwards because of uh, the way the weeds form the way that the depth changes so quickly uh yesterday for example i was casting a small streamer and it was sitting on the bottom and as i twitched the rod or the line downstream the fly would move upstream because i had it stuck under this current it's it's basically a uh, you know a whirlpool only inverted and on the bottom of of the stream and when as i was doing this there's fish that are facing downstream and just kind of keeping that really gentle tail and fin movement to keep themselves in, in place. And you get that because of all of these weird microcurrents that exist in the stream, but you get to experience those things if you fish both sides. So if you have a spring creek that you fish or you know, really any sort of creek that you fish primarily from the banks, try fishing both sides. I know that there could be trees, I could know there could be access rights, all those things that could make that prohibitive. But if you always fish river left, try fishing river right if you have the opportunity. It just really kind of hit home with me yesterday because I was getting shots at a lot of these fish that somebody else, I talked to somebody later in the day that had fished up river left when I was fishing river right, I was fishing a lot of the exact same places he was fishing, but because we were on opposite sides of the stream, even though it was only maybe 20 to 25 feet widest, our flies were seeing fish that hadn't seen a fly that day. So just something to think about. I had a great time on the water. I was really wanting big brown trout. And I saw a couple big brown trout, and I'll talk about one here in a second, but I was catching so many small fish on dry flies, and it, which is great. I mean, I, I'm not going to put my nose up at that, but I was fishing little trichos. Um, great pattern that I like to use that almost as an attractor, especially on a sunny day, but still replicates a spinner of a, of a tricho or any other small kind of dark mayfly. It is a really flat pattern with long tail, long mayfly tails coming out of it. And then it uses a crystal flash, um, a, a rigid version of crystal flash um, as a wing. And it comes out just out on the sides. And the great thing about this is that when it is sunny out, that thing catches so much light. So it's so easy to see. I was fishing maybe a size 22 or 24 yesterday, but the light catching those crystal flash wings, it just is luminescent even on a sunny day and it glows. But for the fish, it presents pretty much just a a silhouette, but with a little bit of water disturbance because of those bigger wings. Awesome pattern, I'm not sure what the name of it is, but just a very simple pattern, very flat, wings out to the side, spent uh, spinner, and uh, with the, the sparkle. It's a great pattern that is easy to see even on those tiny flies. You don't see your fly, you see sparkle in the water. It's like watching a little jewel or a piece of glitter float down the stream but I was catching so many small six to eight, a couple of 10 inch fish. And it was a little frustrating because there were so many of them in there that even though when I saw larger fish in the stream and they were looking up at these flies, uh, the small fish were just attacking relentlessly. And then when you hook it, or even if you don't, and you you, uh, you they disturb things, they, they mess things up. And it's interesting. And I'm, I'm not sure after fishing for as long as I have how and why this works, and you know, fish just being fish, how they're able to pick up on this. But I feel like a fish can rise and rise and rise and make so many splashy rises, and then it can rise to an artificial and get stung a little bit, even if you don't set the hook. And it, changes the dynamics of the pool. The fish get nervous. Certainly, if you miss the hook set or you make the hook set and it pulls that fish a few inches towards you or something like that, then there's times where you can go in and catch plenty more fish, but I find with Very selective and spooky fish that anything weird, they all just kind of go quiet. And I was experiencing this yesterday where, especially those larger fish, as soon as I'd catch one small fish out of the pool, those larger fish would just drift down to the bottom or drift underneath a weed bed. And that was it. Not a lot of fish were running away, terrified. They just seemed incredibly skittish. Another reason for this, and and I I think that a couple more samples of fishing proved this, is that it went from being incredibly hot to having a big, nasty thunderstorm the day before last... And that just changed the way the fishing worked. I went fishing on a couple ponds here up in northern Virginia and caught some bass and some bigger panfish, and they were attacking just readily. The storm hit, and then not only did the Spring Creek fish act a little funny, but the fish in the same pond a couple days later were acting very funny. This morning, actually, just nothing. And, and my sons and I were fishing all different patterns. Nothing was going on. Uh, a couple of bluegill, but that was about it. So I don't want to make an excuse and say the weather turned the fish off, but... Between the incredible amount of small trout and the weather, it was just a, a kind of a weird day. It was a fun day. It was a beautiful day. Uh, the scenery was fantastic, but uh, just not a lot of big fish. One, ex- one exception, I had a big brown trout that was just coming up short. It was nipping the tail of every streamer I was throwing at it. And it was aggressive enough that it was in big open water, had plenty of places to hide. It was choosing not to hide. It was just chasing my fly, almost like if you've experienced a, a fish chasing a, um, a, a bait or a lure or even just another fish off of a, a spawning site. Um, not, you shouldn't be fishing over spawning sites, but you've, you've seen how that works. Where the fish aren't necessarily going to eat, they're just kind of nipping at stuff. That's kind of how this brown trout was acting i know brown trout spawn in june so i'm i'm pretty confident that i wasn't fishing over a a red but it was just chasing stuff and and it was open in its mouth but it wasn't trying to inhale so i kept switching flies over and over and over again switching out of streamers switching to nymphs fishing ugly stuff like mop flies And it was staying there, I was keeping myself kind of hidden from a silhouette perspective. And then I said, alright, I'm going to set up a more complicated nymphing rig and see if I can get something gaudy in front of its face. So I turned around, kind of kneeled down started tying this on, adjusting my tippet, putting on a strike indicator, getting everything all squared away. And I turned around and there was no longer a brown trout in the spot I was fishing, there was now a brown cow. And there was a cattle crossing, uh, that was right where this fish was. And there's probably five or six cows, uh, right in the middle of, of where I was. And so I did not have a chance to fish for that fish again, but that was good because it was the middle of the day. Things were calming down, even though small fish weren't rising anymore. And I could have waited out and certainly could have fished some deeper holes with some bigger streamers and probably, you know, coaxed up a fish or two, but I had plans to go somewhere else, uh, later in the day, but on my way back, I stepped in a muskrat hole. And I basically did the splits where my left leg was still uh, at ground level and my right leg was completely extended all the way down. And that could have been much worse than it was. I mean, you know, if you're running and you hit something like that, that's broken leg city. But I was just walking in my waiting boots and uh, it was it was still a little bit painful, but that's my little comedy bears. I also ran into a dead cow, which was a lot of fun. I was smelling something. There's lots of vultures all over the place, but uh, you don't expect to find a dead cow, but this was in a really obscure spot. It was kind of down a little ditch uh, with a big uh, pine or evergreen bush growing over it. And so farmers farmer has thousands and thousands of cows, but definitely does not know that he lost this one, but my nose found it as did some vultures. But I left this spring creek to head to the Shenandoah River. It was actually the South Fork of the Shenandoah. And this was a river that I have a lot of great memories on. I guided for a summer on it and just lots of smallmouth, lots of bluegill and uh, some other species. I mean catfish on the fly, carp on the fly, uh, largemouth on the fly, uh, some toothy fish, just a lot of great fishing on a river that is incredibly large, incredibly varied. You have weed beds, you have ledges, you have pools. I mean, there's places where it fishes like a pond and there's places where it fishes like an incredibly rapid, riffly trout stream. And that's part of what I did yesterday, fish dry flies. And just a lot of fun to watch big dry fly takes on mayflies, on small dragonflies and damselflies and things like that. And it's just a different way to fish for a smallmouth. It's not that fast and furious strip, strip, strip of a popper or of a big streamer. It's a little bit more laid back, but at the same time, the strikes are explosive, and it just builds up the suspension. I I kind of feel like you can get lulled into uh, kind of a, a malaise as you strip and strip and strip. And then you set the hook, and it's all fun and good. But even fishing poppers, I feel like you just kind of get uh, mesmerized by the, the motion. I would rather stare at a dry fly sometimes, and so that's what I did yesterday, and the, the fish were playing games, but not a, as much as, as usual, and again, I, th- I think that just has to do with the weather. I saw some really big smallmouth. The biggest smallmouth I saw yesterday was when I'd catch uh, small panfish, and as I was fighting them in, these smallmouth were tailing them, looking like they were ready to in- inhale them, and so I did put on a really big EP fiber bait fish, but I was not able to replicate the uh, action of a fighting, struggling sunfish to get one of those small mouth to commit to it but it was a great day there was uh, tubers and kayakers and canoeists I think those are the right words for all three of those activities on the river and they didn't bother me at all it was just a lot of of fun watching people do all sorts of stuff on an awesome uh, late June day but this is fun for me because I got to see a lot of the sites that I used to see when I was living here. I got to explore some kind of new water. I fished upstream further on the Spring Creek I was on, further than I'd ever fished before. I fished downstream further on the Shenandoah, at this one particular site than I'd ever fished before and ran into some pretty cool things. I found a really deep drop-off that was something that I did not know was there. I just assumed it was uh, a still kind of run. But those are the kind of things that... For me, and and if there's one kind of practical tip, I know I talked about fishing both the stream banks and a couple other things earlier. There's one practical tip that I want to encourage you to, to employ in your fishing is when you go home, wherever home might be. Home might not be your favorite place, but if you can incorporate some fishing in, I would say definitely go back to your favorite spots. I think there is a lot of value in that. Uh, the first thing that we did when we got here is my oldest son and I went to the pond that I fished the most when I was uh, a teenager and we went and we fished and caught some bass and that's just fun to be nostalgic but there's a lot of water out there that you never explored now you may have have fished every square inch but if you're like most people then there's some rivers that you never got a chance to fish if you lived somewhere maybe all through childhood or, or you had a job in one location for 10 years and as good as it is to revisit the same spots, finding something new, whether it be a new body of water or fishing further upstream or downstream than ever had before, it can be really cool. And and I can say that even though I didn't catch the size or quantity of fish that I wished I would have caught yesterday, the trips were an absolute success because I saw some new things. Uh, I was able to kind of expand the scope of the mental map that i have of some of these rivers that i absolutely already loved and now i know more about them and i was just able to see more of what i consider to be in part my home state so this summer or the next time you head out somewhere and you plan to bring a fly rod with you definitely find ways to fish the same spots in new ways, uh, whether that be approaching from a different way, or whether that be using a different fly fishing tactic, whether that be further upstream or further downstream. There's all sorts of ways that you can kind of breathe life back into those old familiar spots, or you can add another element of interest and intrigue to where you fished before. And then also enjoy all the other things. I mean, I ate at Sheets twice yesterday, not the healthiest thing in the world, and I ate at Bojangles once. And I Here it is at the uh, about 20-minute mark of this podcast. I think that Bojangles makes the finest fast food biscuit out there, bar none. I love Chick-fil-A. I actually think that McDonald's does a pretty decent job with the biscuit. Hardee's is a good biscuit also, but Bojangles stands over and above everything else. It is a good flavor. It is a good texture. It doesn't crumb without being overly saturated with butter and oil. Uh, Bojangles makes a fantastic biscuit, and their coffee is, is surprisingly good also. But I drove for an hour before I got coffee, so anything probably would have been good at that point in time. All right. Well, if you have a favorite fast food biscuit, I would love to hear about it. Matthew at Castingacross.com. Let me know if you have any thoughts about fishing Virginia or if you have questions about fishing Virginia. I'm not an expert, but I've done it quite a bit. Uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, I can also point you in the direction of some people that know a whole lot more than me. But again, this podcast was kind of me doing a debrief after my trip. I'm, I'm still fishing. Uh, tomorrow I'm fishing some brand new water down in central Virginia. Uh, some family bought some property down there and it abuts a lake that only has private property around it, so I'm pretty excited about what I may potentially get into. Not getting my hopes too high, but at the same time, you never know what you're going to be able to find. So uh, hopefully this will encourage you to try fishing those old spots in new ways as you have opportunity and you are traveling this summer. This week on castingacross.com, the first article is called Angler's Block angler's block so you know about writer's block we might have the same thing as we fish and one of the reasons for that is that we get stuck in the same old same old to the point where we say i don't want to fish today because it's kind of the same now you might be of the mind where like that never happens or that sounds ridiculous to you or you're always gearing to fish But you may very well sympathize with what I'm talking about, and I've had times where you just aren't into it because it feels like you're going through the motions, or you haven't had a lot of success, or the fish have all been the same, and you 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 haven't found that little spark. So in this uh, article, I write about a few different things to kind of get you back in the game and just get, bring some enthusiasm to it. Wednesday's article was called Sent Home, and this was like one moment of a fishing trip, and that was smelling the streamside foliage of this of this river that my son and I were on and how it just kind of tied me back to uh fishing here when I was younger and how I don't think I appreciated just kind of the totality and the holistic nature of fly fishing back then but I certainly do now and there's not really any way to impose that upon a young person or or make them appreciate kind of all of the small things that they will begin to enjoy and look back on and reflect on later in life but that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy it now when we do it. So uh, a little bit um, uh, nebulous in the description there, but if you read it, you, you, you might get what I'm talking about. This week's recommendation on the podcast is something that I have probably recommended before, but I wanted to talk about it again because it is a great piece of gear and my go-to pack for if I am fishing all day or I'm fishing somewhere that I have never fished before and that is the Beast Sling from Vitavoo. The Beast Sling from Vitavoo. So, Vitavoo, again, handmade to order gear, bags, and packs, and uh, accessories made out of high-quality, waterproof, d- incredibly durable uh, PVC-coated nylon. Uh, the Beast is the large pack, and you can fit eight fly boxes in it easy if you have tacky size fly boxes, i think you can fit like a dozen of them in there it's incredibly large and for my purposes i like it because on a day like yesterday when i was both on a smallmouth river and on a trout stream that i haven't fished in over a year and i just kind of didn't know what to expect i loaded that thing up with fly boxes. but i also had my phone in there i had a big water bottle i had a rain jacket lashed to it so much stuff and because it, it rides across your non-casting shoulder. So I'm right-handed, it sits on my left shoulder, something that most sling packs don't do. It wasn't going to wear on me all day. And I could ratchet it really tight when I was wading in the Smallmouth River and so it was up at the, the kind of right below the base of my neck. And when I was on the trout stream, I was able to loosen up a little bit. But it is a great pack, it's ergonomic, they're built to order. If you are incredibly tall, short, narrow wide you're able to let them know and they can customize the strap for you but it's built on a pivoting ring it's a stainless steel o-ring and because of that no matter how big you are or small you are whether you're wearing just a t-shirt or a winter coat it's always going to ride in the right spot and it keeps your front clean which i loved yesterday both because i was wading on this river with incredibly slick and pointy rocks it alternated between slick and uh round and jagged Um, and i wanted to see my feet so with nothing in front of me i could look straight down and when i was on the spring creek there was just weeds and brush and stuff everywhere. And so I didn't, I didn't get hung up on it. My tippet spools didn't get hung up on anything. My nippers and my net didn't get stuck on anything because everything was behind me. But the beast sling uh, depending on the options you choose, could be 180 to 199. It's a great pack. It will last you forever. But if you are going to be out all day or you have no clue what to pack or you're a pack rat and you want to bring all sorts of stuff, this is a great pack pack to bring so I will put a link to the beast sling on the show notes on this podcast page on castingacross.com if you have any other questions about any of the products I mentioned in my episode recommendations please feel free to reach out I'm happy to give my honest unfiltered opinion but I'm not going to recommend anything that I don't like there are some drawbacks to different things and I will be happily uh, able to share those with you if you reach out so thanks for listening to the casting across fly fishing podcast please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.